Oh, come on. You guys have had donuts and coffee. It's 11 o'clock. You can do better than that. Good morning. That's what I like to hear. Hey, welcome back to Bible study. You know it's Bible study because pastor's got to take his uh, jacket off because it's too hot here already. Uh, what a morning already. I want to say a quick prayer for uh, Marilyn Albrecht. She had uh, kind of a fainting spell, and so it was just interesting because we already had the fire truck coming for the kickoff this morning. And uh, so there it was, and so they're um, taking her right now. She's in a wheelchair. She's doing okay. But let me just say a quick word of prayer for Marilyn, and then we'll dig into today's Bible study. Dear Father in heaven, thank you that you are the Lord of life, that in your providential care you watch over us in all our needs. We pray, O God, that you would look after your daughter Marilyn. Now we thank you for Wes and for the fire department, first responders who are able to care for her. We pray, Lord, that you would get her back up on her feet soon and that you would um, uphold her with your strong right hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Cool. It is so good to be back into Bible study and to have you guys with us. Hope you like this new kind of setup that we've got in here. Does everybody have a Bible that wants one? Um, which should be all of you, by the way. Um, here, uh, Matt, if you help us grab a bunch of them. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Matt will help you. He's, he has graciously agreed to uh, assist me. Mike, would you maybe help me too? Um, and uh, we're going to be digging into the book of Leviticus. I'm so excited for this. Um, I know... You know, when I, I said I hesitated to um, get it out there because I was afraid, oh man, as soon as I tell people Leviticus, they're going to be like, yeah, I think I had brunch plans, actually. I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, it's a fun book. Yes, I said that. It's a fun book. When we look at it through the eyes of faith and in all the ways in which through these ancient ceremonies and sacrifices, God was already preparing us for the gospel of Jesus and how he'd be at work. Um, through those as a kind of foreshadowing to what was yet to come. But, uh, kids are singing, uh, but to get started, I want to give a little bit of a prologue with some Old Testament glimpses, a run-up to see how does Leviticus fit into the whole canon of Scripture. Catherine, would you mind getting those doors? As much as I'm enjoying the... Yeah. Oh, it's coming in through the speaker? Yes. <laughs> there's a there's a volume knob, I think, on the um, inside where the, the sound system is. Otherwise, we'll just enjoy that. Um, so, okay, so I want to give you I want to give some context for how Leviticus fits in and what it is that we are to learn out of this book, why it was so important. So, to do that, we're actually going to start in Second Samuel chapter six. So, open your Bibles to Second Samuel. It's immediately after. 1 Samuel, very helpful, and it's on page 310 in my Bible, and in your Bible, I don't know, but uh, it's in there somewhere. Okay, and the context for 2 Samuel 6, <clears throat> these are good donuts, it's a really good donut, thank you Trinity Onekma, um, is that the Ark of the Covenant had been ransacked by some Philistine pirates and now has been recovered, and it's going to be brought back to Jerusalem. And you remember the Ark of the Covenant was this fancy box, which was the locatedness of God's holy presence. Here is where God said, this is going to be where I will meet with you and where I will affect atonement, the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, That was the, the essence of the Ark of, of the Covenant. It existed before Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones, right? Um, <laughs> Went back thousands and thousands of years. So here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting at verse 1. 
David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bali, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Okay, so ark of the covenant, everybody's coming in, they're having their fall kickoff, right? Big party, they got the smoked meats coming, and here's the ark of the covenant. Yay! Oh, stumbles a little bit. Uzzah says, I'm here to help. Da-da-da-da-da. I'll steady you, ark of the covenant. Bam! Lightning bolt, Uzzah's dead. You're like, huh. (laughs) Now, I mean, obvious question, Uzzah, good guy or bad guy? Seems like a good guy, right? He's not, he's not trying to intervene. He's not there to try and, you know, secretly steal the ark or something like that. He just wants to make sure. He's zealous for the ark to make sure it doesn't fall over. He wants to protect it. Why, then, is he killed when he touches the ark? What is it that we are to take away from this moment where it seems in some ways capricious and just unfair for poor Uzzah? Well, it's underscoring for us the holiness of God, the holiness of God, that God's holiness is no respecter of persons and that every single human being, whatever your intentions might be, you might have good intentions, but you are still stained with sin. And so to come before the holy God is a fearsome thing. Sorry, Uzzah. Let's back up to the beginning of all things. And I'd like to invite Pastor Ziegler to recite. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Sorry. This is my good friend, Pastor Mike Ziegler. He's the speaker of the Lutheran Hour. Some of you have uh, heard him, no doubt. And he was the speaker over at the LLL retreat this weekend at Camp Arcadia. And as part of it, he recited Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Um, I'm not going to have him do that right now. But... You remember, even without being able to recite all of it, the refrain in Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, God created, God created, God created, and every time he saw that it was what? Good. Good. Or very good, good. indeed. Tov ma'od is the great Hebrew phrase there. Tov ma'od, that it was good, it was good, it was very good. This is how it was in the beginning. And to get a, a poetic appreciation of this from one of my favorite authors, a guy named Wendell Berry. He has a poem about the creation that to me captures just kind of the beauty of this. He says, to sit and look at light-filled leaves may let us see or seem to see far backward as through clearer eyes to what unsighted hope believes, the blessed conviviality that sang creation's seventh sunrise. Blessed conviviality. 
time when the maker's radiant sight made radiant everything he saw, and everything he saw was filled with perfect joy and life and light. His perfect pleasure was soul law. No pleasure had become self-willed. For all his creatures were his pleasures, and their whole pleasure was to be what he made them. They sought no gain or growth beyond their proper measures, nor longed for change or novelty. The only new thing could be pain. It's a beautiful appreciation for in the beginning, it is good and good and very good. The only new thing could be pain. And of course, pain is quickly introduced to the story, the form of the fall into sin. And from there, we have the the story of the scriptures is off. Because now with this world that has been rent from its creator, he is going to do everything he can to reconcile this creation back to himself. Now that lives under this curse of sin, he desires to restore its blessing. And so he calls a guy, there he is, Abram. He calls Abram out of Ur. And he says, Abram, in you and through you, through your seed, all families of the earth will be blessed. I will restore my blessing over all creation. So we're off with the biblical story. God's desire and intention to reverse the curse of sin, to restore his blessing. And it goes on from there into the wonderful book of Exodus, where you have the call of Moses out of the burning bush. Here I am. And then you have Charlton Heston leading the people of God (laughs) through the Red Sea. And then you have at Mount Sinai, where they are given the, the Ten Commandments and given this charge as his people. And, after, and that's all very exciting. And that, you know, the Sunday school kids are going to learn all those stories. We know it's there in the Ten Commandments, in the movie The Ten Commandments. Uh, but then, if you've, you know, read the story of Exodus, or the book of Exodus, you know, it takes a little bit of a turn, and it gets um, maybe less exciting or interesting for us modern folks. So the second half of the book is pretty much all about the building of something, right? The building of tabernacle. Go to Exodus 24. Genesis, Exodus. Cool. Okay, Exodus chapter 24, starting with verse 15. So God is obviously still up on the mountain. Moses is up there. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord, kavod Yahweh, is the Hebrew phrase. It dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Interesting. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they they take from me a contribution. God says, time for a capital campaign. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned rams, skins, Goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. 
Just imagine those pledge cards. It's mean, so long, all the checkboxes. I think I've got some more uh, acacia wood. Okay. But this is the key verse, verse 8. And let them make for me a sanctuary. Let them make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Let them make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So, okay, Moses visits God. Where does he visit him? Up on a mountain. Now think about this. This is significant. Mountains show up again and again in the scriptures because the mountains are figuratively and literally the place where God is meeting man, where there's this kind of intersection of the heavens and the earth. But that cloud of the glory of the Lord, his divine presence, is kind of hung up in the air still, right? It's not coming down to earth because what's going to, come, what's going to happen if that cloud comes down upon the people of God, unholy though they are, they're going to be vanquished, right? You remember the story of Isaiah going into the temple and he sees the cloud of the presence of the Lord and his reaction is, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And so God says, Moses, you need to start on a building project. You're going to build a sanctuary so that there in that holy place, it's what sanctuary literally is, the Hebrew word mikdash comes from the word for holiness, uh, in order that now with this holy place, I will be able to dwell among them. In the garden, before the fall of sin, God was hanging out with Adam, right? Adam, you know, talked to him like a man talks to his friend. He was like, hey, you know, Lord, what are you doing later? Oh, I don't know, watching some Netflix? How about you? No. Um, but now that, that relationship has been rent and God's desire is to restore how it was originally so that he can again dwell among his people. To do that, they need to build this sanctuary. So the rest of the book of Exodus, with one really interesting kind of sidebar, is about God giving his instructions to build the tabernacle, and then the people of Israel carrying out those instructions, building the tabernacle, and it all leads up to opening day, all right? Opening day for the, the new house of God in Exodus chapter 40, the very end of the book of Exodus. So go there, Exodus chapter 40. Just think about the excitement, the anticipation in the air as now, okay, all, we've all come together. We've constructed this tabernacle just like God described and now we are going to be able to dwell with the Lord once again. Okay, verse 34 then, Exodus 40, very end here. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord, the kavod Yahweh, filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up, they didn't set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So it's this exciting moment, this anticipatory moment. Here's the climax of all of our work. We've erected the tabernacle, and now it's moving day. Moses, you go first. And it's like, boom. Oh. 
He can't go in. <laughs> and why can't he go in? Because Moses is still a sinful, unclean man. God's holiness will not allow them to enter into the tabernacle. Even while they have erected this place where God is going to dwell in their midst, there is still this fundamental issue separating God from humanity. The unholiness of humans and the holiness of God. And so there's this big question at the end of the book of Exodus. How can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? It's not just going to be fixed through a building campaign. It's going to take a lot more than that. How can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? And that's why we need... Leviticus. It's pretty cool, right? I made that for you guys. The book of Leviticus steps in here. At the end of Exodus, where Exodus leaves off, and as far as commentators can tell, we're still at the foot of Sinai as the book of Exodus is given. And the whole book, unlike a a lot of the other, you know, you get into Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, it will record events that took over years, even decades. The whole book of Leviticus happens in what seems like a month, okay? And uh, it's going to be a series of speeches from the Lord, instructions that he is going to give to Moses. But that's where... A lot of people are lost. I love this quote from Origen, one of the church fathers in the second century. He says, if you read people passages from the divine books that are good and clear, they will hear them with great joy. But provide someone a reading from Leviticus, and at once the listener will gag and push it away as if it were some bizarre food. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Just give me the donuts of the Gospels, you know? <laughs> Why are we messing around with the escargot of Leviticus? Can they eat escargot? Hmm, we'll, we'll cover that later. All right. <clears throat> Let me pause here so I can finish my donut and ask you, what do you know about Leviticus? What are your assumptions and preconceptions about it? And there's no right answer here. Just, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you know about the book? What are your, your thoughts about it? Impressions of, of the book of Leviticus. Good, bad, otherwise, indifferent. Boring. Who's, I heard it. Some. Boring. A bunch of laws. A bunch of laws. Yep. Yep. A bunch of different sacrifices, too. A bunch of different sacrifices, too. Yeah. It's a redemption story. It's a redemption story. Yeah, because you you've got a lot of sacrifices in there. What else? Yeah, man. I think Leviticus has a lot of uh, kind of things that have proven truthful, mm-hmm. uh, like go, went against conventional wisdom of the day, yeah. and proven yep. right. Yeah, things that at the time looked as though, why are they doing this? This seems kind of weird, but I mean, have been vindicated through time and even like modern science and so forth, um, which is remarkable, yeah. Other, other things, thoughts? I like the ordination Okay. Of, uh, you have Aaron and the priests. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's a that's a, a really important part. Is there will be the ordination, the installation of the priesthood, which are going to have an important part to play in Leviticus. Yeah. Day of atonement. The day of atonement. Yes. One of the most important stories from the Old Testament, and not just stories, but events and rites that uh, give us a, a foreshadowing of the gospel. So we'll spend a good amount of time with the day of atonement. Yeah. 
the, <clears throat> the Old Testament, the first parts of the Old Testament, are in chronological order. Uh -huh. And since Leviticus comes right after Exodus. the uh, Israelites leave Egypt, yeah. It's kind of a, it must be a foundation piece of some sort. It absolutely is. I'll have more to say on that in just a minute. But well, Bill's saying it must be a foundation piece for the Israelites. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. One little tidbit that was helpful to me uh -huh. uh, when we mentioned the ordination of Aaron. And when a leper is allowed to come back home, he's reordained as a priest. Yeah. The same kind of thing with blood. Yep, yep. But the fact that I get to come home to be a priest. Hmm. That's really good. Oh man, I, aren't you guys getting excited now? You're like, I'm giving, you're doing all the teasers. You're like, whoa, that's really cool. I think that's chapter 13 maybe. But uh, yeah, so you gotta keep, you gotta stick with it for a while. But, yeah, any other thoughts? Just initial things. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. I'd say separation between holy and unholy. Separation between holy and unholy. That's a big theme. We'll see that over and over again. The holy, unholy, clean, unclean. You know, what do these different categories mean and how do they fit in? Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, all the parties that he's planning. Lot of parties. Exactly. God is a God who loves to have a party. Hence, what are we doing today? We're partying, folks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And God even has to command his people, hey, you shall rejoice. You're going to celebrate, all right? I know you guys just want to work all the time, but it's... Okay. Now, Becky, were you going to raise your hand? No. But oh. <laughs> I think Leviticus is one of those books where you start to see the sweetness of Jesus. Yes. I mean, a list of stuff we don't have to do. <laughs> I mean, the more you know your Old Testament, yes. the sweeter that sacrifice. Yes, that's so. That's a great point. So, what you didn't hear what Becky said? The, it's when you really start to understand and appreciate the sweetness of what Jesus has done for us. When you read a book like Leviticus, because we'll just throw off things like, oh, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. We're like, oh, cool, all right, let's move, moving right along. But uh, without studying the Old Testament, and especially a book like Leviticus, you don't understand the depth of what that means for him to fulfill the law on our behalf. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Anything else? Year of Jubilee. Year of Jubilee, yeah. Um, the 50-year party. The, the, the party. party and the, the every 7-year parties. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of partying in Leviticus. So you're like, wow, did not know that. But there you go. So let me give you, um, we're not going to go our, our full time today because we've got a party to attend to. <clears throat> um, but I want to I briefly go through my, uh, what am I going to give you? The top five reasons why to study Leviticus, okay? And I took a survey of a thousand American, no. Um, this is just my arbitrary, not totally arbitrary, but um, first of all, why study Leviticus? Ding, 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 because it's scripture, people. Like, I, if you say, oh, it's, it's boring, I just want to pass over it, fine. You can have that opinion if you like, but it's still part of the Bible, right? It's still in your scripture. And so just the, at the most basic level, it's worth studying it because it is the word of God. And in fact... In some ways, it's even more acutely the Word of God. So we know this book by the title of Leviticus, which came later and has Latin roots. You can see Levi in there, that connection with the priesthood, um, the, the tribe of Levi. But the Hebrew name for it was Vayikra. Let me hear you say Vayikra. Vayikra. In the first five books, I don't know, Michael, is it just the first five books? They derive their name from the first word or phrase in Hebrew. Um, and so 
uh, Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, the first phrase in it is vayikra, first word, which means, and he called. Who's the he there? Yeah, well, let's take a look at it. The, and the verse, Leviticus 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And it's a fitting title to this book because you are going to get, I didn't measure this pound for pound, but it, it's right at the top. Um, in terms of just the percentage of direct speeches from God, direct word of the Lord in Leviticus, I mean, it's right there at the very top. Over and over and over again, we're going to see this. Vayikra, and he called, and the Lord God said. Okay, um, And you say, well, how is that different from other books of the Bible? With a lot of the books of the Bible, you have you know, the recording of events, and here the word of the Lord came, and you hear from it. But then it, it, you know, it recounts all these different things that happened and so forth, and it's no less the word of God. But here you have literally God speaking. Here it is recorded. Does that make sense? And so it's like even more profoundly or deeply God's word in that sense. And John Kleinig, uh, the great uh, LCMS, our Lutheran scholar, um, in his commentary on Leviticus, he says, This book, as full as every other in the canon, is the word of God. It is divine speech more obviously than any other book in the Bible. For almost every section begins with, The Lord spoke. Lord spoke to Moses. Cool. So that's your first reason why it's worthwhile to study Leviticus. Second, the first book, eight people said, first books. <laughs> and this goes back to uh, what Bill was mentioning. Um, for ancient Israelite children, and I didn't know this until beginning some of my own study on the book, for ancient Israelite children and their study of the Bible, they would actually start with Leviticus because Leviticus was so essential to how they lived their day-to-day -day life making sense of the sacrifices that they're doing and, and how the, the ceremonies that they're having and everything. And so Leviticus was actually the first book that you would learn. It was that foundational to your life together as the people of God. I, to me, that is suggestive for the role that it could still play for us. Why? Go ahead, Don. Why is it not the first book in the Bible, then? Well, so you have that, right. I mean, so you have that chronological side to it. So um, just like think of it compared to our lectionary, okay? So the, the lectionary is the order of readings that we use from Sunday to Sunday. Um, okay, quick trivia here. The first Sunday in the church here, it's an Advent, right? Beginning of December, end of November. What's the gospel reading every year for the first Sunday in Advent? Don't answer this, Mike. <laughs> or Bob. Oh, and and it's going to Entry. It's the Palm Sunday Gospel. It's Jesus uh, riding on the donkey, coming into Jerusalem. Now, chronologically, this is not um, the first thing that happened, obviously, in the Lord's ministry. But it's kind of like this. there was a, an ancient practice. This is not just a biblical practice, but uh, in antiquity, where they would start a story what they called in media race. In media, in media race, which means in the middle of things. And so you start the story at that climactic moment as the drama is building, right? And, and then they'll kind of flash back and give you the context. You can think of how TV and movies uses this trope all the time, right? The church year, the lectionary, kind of uses this. Like, we're going to start with, what's the story about? <sighs> king's taken back his throne, right? Here comes the return of the king, J.R. Tolkien. He didn't come up with these ideas himself. All right, here's Jesus coming back to reclaim his throne. And then we're going to move backwards 
and unfold more chronologically. So um, within the, the scriptures, we start with creation and this climactic moment, um, and then these other things are going to be brought into it, but um, and that chronologically, but to start with Leviticus is to say, here, we're going to start with where you are right now, and then zoom out. Yeah. Something else, Moses is working with a people who don't know Yahweh from, from a hole in the wall. Right. <laughs> And so he has to start them as a missionary would from the very beginning. Yes. In yeah. fact, Genesis 1 is generic God. Yeah. You don't meet the guy yeah. by name until... And, and, and so Leviticus shows up at the right time if I'm bringing yeah. new people into Christ. Yes. But if I have children who are already in a Christian community, Leviticus sure. is a perfect place to right. start. Because they're already in... They're immersed in it. They're already immersed. Yeah, that's a great point. So... Um, thirdly then, holiness. We've already talked about this, and this is going to be a key concept for understanding the book of Leviticus, and kind of as Becky was saying, give us this deeper appreciation of what it means that Christ Jesus is our holiness, as it says in the New Testament. And I think it'll help us to get a deeper understanding of what it means that the Old Testament is Torah. And Torah is a word that's used to describe the first five books of the Bible. It's used sometimes just to describe the Old Testament. Generally, it's typically translated as law, but it might be better understood, depending on the context, simply as instruction or even revelation. It's God's teaching to his people. And just to give an example of Torah, maybe the most famous verse from Leviticus, um, or one of them, you shall be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay? This is Torah, right? This is instruction from the Lord. We would typically call this law. All right? You shall be holy as the Lord your God is holy. But when you're talking about Torah, it can be understood in multiple senses. First of all, it's a fact. You are holy. Indicative. Secondly, it's a command. You must be holy. And then thirdly, it's a promise. You will be holy. Um, when we talk about Torah, this applies to Leviticus as throughout the scripture, we shouldn't understand it just as law, okay? So there's going to be a lot of thou shalts in Leviticus, but we're going to see also how there's a lot of gospel as well, that within God's commandments are also embedded promises, in fact, about the way things are, okay? All right, fourth, a rope. Uh, I was thinking about how to put this. Why study Leviticus? Because it presents us with a, with a robust faith, a thick, deep faith that fills our whole lives. Think of what Paul says in Romans 12. Leviticus is going to help us to understand what it means when Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, not just you know, your Sunday mornings, not just your faith life, but your whole life, your body, to present it as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Leviticus helps us to see how our convictions um, suffuse everything about our lives. Our relationship with God touches everything else and ha has an impact and impinges upon it all. Uh, you could put it more simply by a theologian by the name of Stanley Hauerwas, who puts it rather provocatively. He says, any God who won't tell you what to do with your pots and pans and genitals isn't worth worshiping. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um, but what he's getting at is, look, 
Faith has to do with all of life as a living sacrifice. It's not just something you can compartmentalize. And then finally, and most importantly, why study Leviticus? Because it preaches Jesus, y'all. Because it preaches Jesus. It points us back to Jesus. It's not just interesting and, you know, wow, this is some strange stuff we have here. Ultimately, we read it because it is Scripture, because it is Scripture that points us to Christ Jesus. So you've got, go to Luke 24. This is maybe the parade example of, of Jesus underscoring this for us. This is after his resurrection, first Easter. Okay, Leviticus 24. Um, I'm not going to read the, the whole story here, but this is the, um, the uh, encounter that he has with the disciples on their way to Emmaus. And you remember how uh, it says in verse 27, they don't understand everything that's happened. And Jesus says, oh, you slow of, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, goes without saying perhaps, but when Jesus says all the scriptures, what's he talking about? He's talking about the old, what we call the Old Testament, right? You did not have the letters of Paul yet. You did not have what we call the New Testament in written form. He's talking about the Old Testament. All these scriptures, starting with Moses, the author of Leviticus, as well as the other first five books, that's what he's using to point to himself. And then again in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus says, if you want to understand me and what I have done for you, you ought to be reading Moses and what we call the Old Testament. And for Christians throughout the ages, they have done this naturally in a way that has been variously described as the Christological reading of Scripture or even the spiritual reading and it's what I like to think of as kind of reading in 3D, reading the Old Testament in 3D. So think of it first. If you're just reading in 2D, that's if you just read the Old Testament straight and you just read what they would call the letter of the text. Just read the letter of the text. And you just see, okay, so here's the um, historical facts. Here's what has, has happened. But you don't see beyond that. And you would say something like, well, the Old Testament... It's not relevant to us as Christians because it doesn't have anything about the gospel in there. It doesn't have anything about Jesus in there. And so it's just strictly a 2D way of reading. But instead, what the church has, has practiced throughout the ages is a kind of three-dimensional reading of the Bible um, where it's not just the letter but also the spirit so that we are able to see in the book of Leviticus and learn not only how God um, spoke to and worked with his people thousands of years ago, but also how that points to and illuminates what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Does that make sense? 
And so it's a, that's what we're going to try and practice as we read this. We're going to go through these chapters of Leviticus, and I'm going to show you what it meant in its original context and try to understand, wrap our minds around that history. But we're also going to look at how does that point forward to and is fulfilled by Christ himself. See, I think for us to, to read Leviticus as scripture, as Christians, we cannot but do that. It's what Jesus himself taught the disciples to do. And I'll close with this quote from Luther on the Old Testament generally. He says, there are some, you know, Luther was an Old Testament professor, that he was not a New Testament professor, even a systematic theology. He was a professor of the Old Testament. Some people say that's why he was so earthy in his language sometimes. But I love this image that he gives. He says, there are some who have little regard for the Old Testament. They think of it as a book that was given to the Jewish people only and is now out of date, containing only stories of past times. Dismiss your own opinions and feelings and think of the Old Testament scriptures as the loftiest and noblest of holy things, as the richest of minds which can never be sufficiently explored in order that you may find that divine wisdom which God here lays before you in such simple guise as to quench all pride. Here you will find the swaddling cloths and the manger in which Christ lies. Simple and lowly are these swaddling cloths but dear is the treasure, Christ, who lies in them. So within these swaddling cloths of Leviticus, we have our Lord already wrapped up and ready to be revealed. That's what I'm looking forward to in this study that we'll undertake together of the book of Leviticus. <laughs> cool. I want to stop there for today. Uh, please join us again next week as we'll get started in earnest with chapter one. I hope you stick around now. Um, if you don't mind, we probably need some help getting tables set up and everything out there. And then uh, we'll have some lunch and church picnic there pretty soon. And don't forget, I should have passed it around already, but I got the sign-up sheet for the cornhole tournament. Now you got, you got a few minutes. Grab your partner for the cornhole tournament. We'll get that started in a little bit. <laughs>